Okay, everybody, here we are again. This is episode 645. 645 episodes of Iron Radio. What is that, 11 years? Jeez. Long time. Um, yeah, <laughs> long time. Uh, this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, uh, Highland Games athlete, powerlifter. I run Strength Guild here in Topeka, Kansas. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor of the Kerrigan Institute. Creator of the Flux Diet Certification, instructor at Rocky Mountain University, and shameless plug, Flux Diet Cert opens again on October 18th for a week. Go to flexdiet.com. One week. Better hurry, folks. Yep. That's the last time it'll be open this year. So There you go. Yeah. How many people usually get in? Um, It depends. Like Usually lately we've been getting... Around like a dozen, okay. fifteen, uh, but most of that has been just to uh, the newsletter list. Uh-huh. I haven't. We've done some promotion on social media, but what I'll be doing next is working on adding more people to the newsletter, which I write daily, and it's been nice. We've had lots of really nice people written in saying how much they actually enjoy reading it. Because I know normally if you ask them like, "You want to be another newsletter?" They're like, <laughs> "No, it's no, horrible." Yeah. <laughs> Shameless promotion after promotion and boring yeah. stuff. So, yeah. So, I actually try to make it somewhat entertaining and educational at the same time. So, there you go. and the newsletter's free. So, if you don't like it, ah, just unsubscribe. Turn it off. Unsubscribe. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like this radio show. Yeah. <laughs> you do. <laughs> you don't like it? GTFO. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is, that is the nice part about doing free stuff because sometimes you have people. Um, usually online, and it's usually people I don't know, like, complain. Yeah. They're like, you're selling a certification for, you know, five to $600, you crazy money-grabbing person. It's like, yeah. okay, it. it's only, like, composed, like, 20 years of my life. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> you could get podcasts for free, and you could get a newsletter for free. So you don't have to buy anything, per se. So yeah. I just woke up angry anyway. So yeah, there you go. So I know. I understand the feeling. No. You got some studies about uh, people are getting pissed off about protein again. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, I think that sometimes is like, oh, this is it's been kind of beat to death, you know, like you know, protein, and you know, obviously you were the cover model for the. The academic protein yeah. uh, book we did, Dietary Protein and Resistance Exercise Training, that uh, Lonnie helped put together. I was one of the co-authors of one of the chapters in there. And <clears throat> so I reviewed a study that Jose Antonio did a while back where they massively overfed um, guys protein, like three to 400 grams a day. And what they found was <clears throat> that body comp didn't really get any worse. Now, again, once they dramatically upped their protein, they didn't get any better lean muscle gains yeah. than either. You know, once you get around 0.7 grams per pound of body weight, you could argue, you know, maybe one gram per pound if you're <clears throat> you're cutting, you're using it for satiety, and you want to try to hit like the you know, physique athletes and people in like the 99th percentile. I know mm-hmm. Dr. Calms has talked a lot about that. Um, yeah, I could be down with that. But you start going higher than that, and 
you've kind of reached that threshold where, you know, lean body mass is not going up, at least just from the addition of uh, protein, as far as we know. Um, so in the study, <clears throat> composition of body, just fat, didn't get any worse, even though they were eating a lot more calories. And it was interesting, like some of the comments I got were from sort of the calories in, calories out camp, who are now mm-hmm. pissed because they think that I'm violating laws of thermodynamics and are not correct. So what you find if you talk to actual experts like Jose Antonio, and I've talked to Dr. Stu Phillips about this, is the theory is that protein is just the amount of processes you have to take Mm -hmm. amino acids from protein and then, in short, convert them uh, through (coughs) deamination, changing the amino acids. Uh, There's a process called DNL, uh, de novo lipogenesis, which is just a fancy word for creating uh, more fat from things that are not fat. And what you find is if you go through all these processes, like protein is incredibly inefficient at being converted into fat. Yeah. Uh, it tur- turns out carbohydrates are also relatively inefficient being converted to fat. Um, that gets really complicated and really messy really fast, but most people assume that once you consume more carbohydrates than what you can quote-unquote use, that it automatically goes to fat. And not really. Like the conversion rates of that, again, highly debatable, but probably single digits, maybe low 10, 15 percent. Um, and the thing that people forget when you overconsume carbohydrates is in general, healthy people will increase their body's ability to oxidize them, meaning you will just start using more of them for uh, fuel and just burn them. Same thing happens with protein. You can oxidize some additional protein, too. Now, again, at some point, if you eat more calories, you can, you know, push that even farther because you're going to be at a caloric excess again at, at some point, too. Uh, excess fat in general gets to be stored a little bit more of fat because it's more efficient. So it was interesting with the protein how some people thought it was violating the calories in, calories out. And then other people were worried about uh, safety concerns, which I talked about in the next one. Does kidneys, etc., with higher protein and healthy people that we've seen. Um, so I just thought it was interesting that nobody seems to be happy. <laughs> and yeah. one person wanted to know about, well, if you overfeed them fat or overfeed them protein, what happens to the fat and carbohydrates? Well, I don't know. They didn't get any fatter. So <laughs> yeah, assuming they're okay. But again, that wasn't the point of that study. It wasn't a tracer study to figure out, you know, where things went. So, yeah. uh, well, yeah, it feels it like, like, like you said, it, it feels like an old topic that I thought we already proved this. Uh, yeah. Like, it's been out there forever that, yeah. like, protein is not efficient, and it's costly. I mean, that's one of the benefits of eating it, especially if you're dieting, is it's satisfying, it keeps you full longer, and just the whole digestion process of it is costly and expensive and long. So it only makes sense that, you know, if you overfed with that versus something else, uh, the the break-even point would be larger. Correct. Because the expense to digest it is larger. But why why people aren't grasping that? And that's me at a, like, I'm not a fucking doctor, and I don't claim to be one on TV, even though I've stayed at Holiday Inn a lot of times. (laughs) So, you know. That's my simpleton's view, and it's like I can grasp that and have for decades now. 
So it's it's weird how this gets lost, but yeah. yeah. Maybe one other question a little bit related to that too, which is a good question. He asked. Um I think there is a real possible evil of eating too much protein is that your body gets in the habit of in favor is using dietary protein as a fuel instead of using it as building blocks for lean tissue. Uh, if this above were true, then that would mean eating too much protein is bad, even if it doesn't turn into fat, um, which is a good question. And there is some truth to that. I think in the bodybuilding fitness world, we tend to have, myself included, a myopic view of protein is just for muscle. That's all it is. Doesn't do anything else. Yeah. And if you think about it, everyone goes, oh, yeah, well, I guess it does do lots of things. Uh, your, your, basically your digestive system, um, will pull and use protein, amino acids. It's obviously going to be used for repairs, can be used for creation of neurotransmitters, et cetera. And the amount of protein that gets put into muscle is pretty darn small. I think the first pass through the gut takes like 40%. Um, Van Loon did a tracer study years ago, which was super interesting where it took them, I want to say, two and a half years to get this study approved. But instead of, um, I should say, instead of really doing tracers, they did a radioactive um, thing they could follow around, right? So they radioactively labeled protein. In order to get the protein to be radioactively labeled, they had to get their own cows and get the feed that they fed them radioactively labeled feed the cows, and then create protein from the milk from the cows to then give to people overnight in a study. I think they did it via a nasal tube. And then he's like, and then we woke them up in the morning with muscle biopsies. (laughs) Which sounds like a pretty horrible study. And he's like, yeah. Sounds like a bad way to wake up. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, this was by far and away the most expensive protein ever made. And they used primarily, I think, a casein protein, although I believe they've tried to replicate it with whey. Um, but the issue is whey protein is even be more expensive to make uh-huh. than casein protein because you just get less of it in, in terms of from uh, milk yeah. production. A lot of whey comes from cheese production. Yeah. Um, a short version, if I had did all my calculations there, I think like a 20-gram dose of, of protein like two to four grams, I think, is all that was deposited in muscle. Um, so it's very small. But if you extrapolate it out, that kind of makes sense, right? Like if you take someone who's not a new trainer, they've been training for a while, and we'll say they're not using any drugs to keep it simple. What are you really going to gain max, like half a pound to a pound of actual lean body mass, I would say, per month? It's probably on the high side, like yeah. 6 to 12 pounds a year. So, and it would have to be a pretty small amount, right? Because if you're eating three to four meals per day, you know, just the numbers just don't add up to it being very significant. Yeah. Uh, so what you find somebody is hard training. a small amount is being added. You know, and that that's adding in like to add six pounds of muscle in a year. You're training. Oh yeah, that's like, you know? <laughs> so that's not even close to the average person. No, so, no, this is yeah. like best case scenario. I mean, if we could all just eat protein and get jacked, that'd be badass. You know, yeah, like, but uh, yeah. So no, I mean, this question's but, a good one, and I think it, it, it that there is a concern if so. What I would do is if I was on very higher protein 
and I know I'm going to travel and I'm going to be in a location where sources of protein are going to be a little bit less. I know my in- incoming protein is going to be less. I will take a week or two and purposely walk myself down from a higher level of protein to potentially head any bets that I'm oxidizing protein as a fuel. So try to get my body to be a little bit less used to that. Um, but again, at this point, I've only seen that as like a theoretical concern. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, like on your, what you were talking about before, and protein as a fuel source, isn't like amino acids the main fuel source for like your intestines? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are parts of the body that just uh, totally unrelated to muscle tissue that just oh, yeah. gobble that up. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it only makes sense, but yeah, and that's been one of the things that you know, glutamine, which is an amino acid, which in the past used to be potentially used for muscle gain, but didn't really pan out. Yeah. There's maybe some benefits with that with the immune system, and in some people I have who are working with their physician with some gut issues, and some people it has been beneficial uh, for gut. And that theory there is that it's just your gut's pulling so many amino acids, and glutamine is one of the main ones that yeah. maybe we can give it more of what it's looking for. Didn't they, I think there was a study like on extreme burn victims in glutamine, and that's one of the ones they used to like try and push this for muscle repair. Yeah, that goes back to a lot of Scott Conley's stuff. With yeah, that. yeah. And he was looking at, uh, was it lactofurin, I think, and then glutamine, and there's been some talk about using alanine potentially. If you look at amino acids that get uh, transferred into fuels or ones that your body wants to oxidize, alanine is number one. I think glutamine gotcha. is number two, if I remember. So, yeah, that would kind of at least theoretically make sense. Gotcha. Drell's with us, I think. Oh, he's here. He is. Damn, dude, I, I literally was staring at my – the Skype was open and, like, the call wasn't either coming through or something. And I was like – I was like, damn. And then all of a sudden you guys were there and then already talking. So <laughs> yeah, I tried calling twice. So yeah, I didn't see any calls until <sighs> and I, when I got on, that's the first time I saw a call. <laughs> oh, <weird. laughs> I was like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Welcome. Right. Yep. Welcome to our, we're, we're just yeah. shooting out shit on, on proteins and stuff. I was like, hey, I'm about to ask you, <laughs> like, I'm about to jump in with a question, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. All right. So yeah, protein's confusing, man. It's a, uh, what, what were the other ones you had? You had another one, an email, I think, that came in. Yeah, those are, I just kind of combined them all into one. Oh, okay. It was just, yeah. And, you know, you guys have been around long enough. Like, all macronutrients get demonized. And I never thought that in fitness circles, like, protein would be something that's demonized, right? So now you have all the longevity weirdos running around screaming about autophagy and then, you ask them what is really autophagy, and they look at you like a two-headed space alien. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna yeah. run and put my head in the sand again. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I think we're going to talk about. Well, first off, we'll start, and I think this will segue into it a bit. Uh, so I did squat 800 for those of you who are listening. Nice. That's awesome for those that you were listening last week, and I was expecting a really hard fight coming into that lift. It looked easy. And, yeah, I blew it up, and I was like, holy shit. And uh, like I was telling Mike before the show, I'm not going to read it. But, uh, I don't want to, like, embarrass him. But 
<laughs> I, I even got a compliment from Jim Windler, which is, I mean, I pretty much told everybody, okay, I can retire from powerlifting now. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> I, I can't do anything else. Like, so Windler complimented me. He didn't tell me to quit squatting. So, uh, no, but, and then we were talking about, you know, basically from here on out, like my only job until the meet for the next five weeks now is just don't get hurt. Uh, <laughs> so, and, you know, work openers and things like that. And we got to talking about, um, like sessions that you just, it's just, when do you know just to walk away? Like if I have a session right now and I know it's just not bad, it's bad. I know I'm there and it's, I got to have the, uh, the, the maturity in my training to know that, dude, you've done it. You've hit your opener five times already. You hit what you hope to be your ending lift once. Like just don't fuck up, you know? Yeah. And if you're having a bad day, don't push it. You know, it's like right now, the worst thing I could do is just make something happen on a bad day and just didn't hurt myself. You know, I mean, of so course, are you, pushing, are you pushing your heavy, heavy lifts earlier in your training like, cycle? I am a little bit earlier. I'd push them back a few weeks earlier just because, okay. uh, well, they're heavier now. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a good thing they're markedly heavier than they used to be and one thing i can tell you is like from when i was squatting six to now squatting seven and eight like i can feel it like my margin of error is very small yeah. uh, like and i'm talking margin not margin of error of missing a lift like at squatting at 800 i was like if i fuck up something's gonna explode I'm starting to get to those pounds. It's like I can tell, like, my knees, everything need to be in the right position or something bad, like really bad could potentially happen. Um, so it's just hitting things in the right area. So, yeah, and it just gives me more time to recover. And I've just – it's come to the point where I know – like, I think most people fuck up. They're like a week out, and they're trying – like, I'm going to try for my second and my third. And it's like, <laughs> why? Why? Yeah. I mean, my whole plan is now built around and has been the last few meets. It's just – my last five weeks is nothing but owning my opener. Yeah. And my openers are usually pretty light. Yeah, like, I need to go heavier. If I'm killing my opener, I know the other's there without going to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now that my opener's going to be 725, my final week might be 50 pounds lighter than that. Yeah. Uh, for like 675. It's like. Well, I remember we, so we were doing the, the heavy triple as the opener, but that was for most people back when I was there. Yep. In the, it was what three, four weeks out. Yep. And so, if you're so you're pretty much in the middle of your training cycle, and you hit your closer to your top weights, and then you're all pretty much speed lifts from now. Yeah. Like pretty much yep. seventy to eighty percent for speed singles yep. and doubles. Yep. It's like strength gain, and that's what people don't get. And I've bitched about this before. Like I hate it when people reach out to me and they're like, "Hey, bro, I'm twelve weeks out from a meet. Can you help me?" Fucking get strong and peak. And I was like, Oh no. It's too late. <laughs> like I hit twelve weeks my twelve week cycle or whatever you want to call it for this meet, I'm not getting stronger at that point. You know, that's all done. I'm just trying to realize all the strength and just get my fine tune my form and things like that. Get used to heavy weight on my back again. And that's what people don't understand. I hate that. Like all these people love going to coaches for I'm just gonna do this shit in the off season. Whatever they do, and then twelve weeks out, I'll get a good coach, and he'll fucking magically make me a superstar. 
And it's, they don't realize that it's, it's all the weeks outside of that is where most of the work's really done. I mean, we can't address weak areas and stuff like 10 weeks out. It's like, yeah. don't have time. That shit takes time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, in our sport, it's like, I mean, because of the, the technical aspects, at least of snatches, I mean, clean and jerks, you can get away with a little bit more, but we spend most of the year, I mean, you have like, for me right now, for athletes, I would say that are full time year round. We have two bigger 12 week cycles where we're really aiming for, and I plan heavier, heavier lifts like PRs and stuff. But most of the time you're just, you're getting so comfortable with the weights that you need to hit. Like you shouldn't be missing 80%, you know, in the, in your off season training. And that's, and I know my athletes get frustrated with it because when you start, the PRs are what bridge you mentally, right? They bridge you to the next session. You find that. But when you get, when you're kind of closer to your top end strength or you start getting older or something like that, then it's like we spend a lot of time just maintaining your strength mm-hmm. and like cleaning it up, really. I would just call it like that. Like just kind of cleaning up your movement at that strength level yeah. to build us to another to bridge us to another training cycle. So it's not like I, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for us to try and PR and like just keep going up all year round for most no. athletes. young yeah. athletes is different, but. Well, and like anything in any strength sport, I mean, like the fucking sun can shine on your ass on any day and you can hit <laughs> this big PR. That doesn't mean you're going to hit it another day. You know, it's, uh, it's more about consistency with just heaviest loads. You know, it doesn't like who cares if you snatch, you know, 150 kilos one time. It, you did it like one out of 20. So what we're going to do that on the platform? Nah, probably not a good call. You know, you've got a one in 20 chance of making it. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I just think of it as <clears throat> once you hit a a big PR, that could just be a freak day, yeah. right? But now you know you can do it. Like you demonstrated that it is entirely 100% possible because you just did it. Yeah. So now in the fancy terms, can I reduce the variability, right? Can you hit that on next week? Can you mm-hmm. hit it the week after? Can I now start hitting it uh, another day during the week, right? Can I own that weight where yes. I reduce the variability down so low that Eventually, that becomes my sort of bottom lift, right? Or yeah. on any day, half hungover, I can now hit this. Where mm-hmm. you know, six months ago, it was like once in a blue moon type thing. Yeah. Even though it's the same weight, I still think that people forget that that's a huge form of progress. Yes. Yeah. And that's honestly how I judge my progress now. Yeah. I don't judge my progress on like what I've hit on a meat platform or something like that. It's on the new load that I've turned into my bitch, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like right now, I know I can go in on Saturday and squat 725. I could not do that. That's huge progress. You know, if, like I have, it's not even mentally daunting now. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to squat this. Uh, that's a good place to be. I mean, and that's oh. honestly, for me, that's where your opener should be. It should be yeah, something I mean, you just don't worry about. Like, I think that's that's been our strategy essentially, especially with the squatting every day. And I think it's, that's the first bridge is tough for people to cross when they start training with me is like, 
I'm all about what I call your, your essentially your minimums. Like, what can I come wake yeah. you up at 3 a.m. and what can yep. you hit? Yeah. And I, we practice, like, that's the cert, that's the lift I circle. Like, the PRs will come, but work up, like, I always have that bridge. Like, you work up to that for a single, and once you start pushing, creeping that number up, that's when the big PRs start to come. Like, if you can hit, uh, for most, let's say guys, guys, it's like snatching, nine, getting to 90 kilos on snatch, right? So, that's like kind of the first bridge or the first kind of bigger number. And it's like once you can snatch 90 kilos pretty much every day from like every position and we're just like that becomes like a home base, it gets easier to make the next jump. Mm-hmm. And so it's – and weightlifting is, you know, a little bit different, but I do it with the squats too, but just track your daily minimums. And I don't push the maximums ever. I really walk people away from those. Like you should yeah. not – push for your maximum you should let them happen like it should feel like the weight just jumps on the bar itself like you don't have like uh you don't like force it or you like try to overpower it like all right i'm gonna go five pounds heavier today and it's gonna happen or whatever yeah. so yeah well it's like last weekend when i was squatting you know i did 765 you know my plan was hopefully 800 and so i did 675 725, 765, and then I did 800 even. Five years ago even, I'd have probably been like, put on 820. (laughs) Um, But I've just got more. It's like, why? I just killed that. Why do it when there's a 90% chance it's there, and I know it from killing this? Why six weeks out from me take that risk? It's not going to help me at all. It, It really... The only thing it might help me is mentally, but other than that, it has a real chance of just hurting me. (laughs) So it's like, what's the point in that? Why take that risk? Save that shit for the platform. Like if 800 feels good that day, then there's a good chance it'll feel good on me day too when I'm rested and because I take the whole day before to rest and eat and you do it then. (laughs) It counts. It takes a lot of like emotional, just emotional discipline to like accept what lift happens. Like, and that takes yeah. a lot of practice. Like, it takes probably a year or two for people to really kind of get into the groove of how I coach people. Yeah. And to say no to a bigger lift. And that, like, you can always tell the newer lifters at my gym because they'll see someone hit a heavier lift that's in the 90, 80, 90% range and they'll say, oh, that was, that felt really good. And a new lifter will be like, let's go, let's go up. Like, come on. Yeah. But it's like the, the other lifters are like, not why. We're not, you can't break a world record in the history of world records, and one has never been broken on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just relax, like take the lift that's given to you that day, and then be here next the next day. Yeah, and let's turn you that into that your minimum. Harder with Olympic lifting. I'm not an Olympic lifting coach at all, so this is probably a stupid question. But um, when you hit a good Olympic lift. The handful of times I've done it, and again, I'm horrible, it it still felt easy. Like, do you find that a bigger lift does feel a little bit harder or because it always kind of feels easy because you hit the right groove, you actually hit the right mechanics that you can't necessarily always go by how it feels? Or how do you set that up? Well, I have people go by how it feels. Like, I'm with the Olympic lifts, I'm less – like. I'm more like you can miss, right? But from a coach's eye perspective, like I can tell how the bar is moving. Yeah, so you're um, watching the bar path. 
Well, yeah, and how fast it's moving right. from the floor to your hip and then, like, how fast it is off the hip. So you can kind of tell, like, when that bar kind of drags a little bit or, like, sure. you, you dive underneath it and, like. So you're really trying to, you didn't get it as high as you need to, and you're just trying to make up for it by getting under faster and lower, right? Yeah, you're making, there are a lot of little compensations that you make to, to chase the lift. Yeah. As opposed to letting the lift happen. And so in weightlifting, as far as coach sessions, like I want you to never do those until, I mean, we get closer to, you know, harder meets, really closer to nationals for most of us. Mm-hmm. And then I'll let you kind of chase some stuff because on the platform, I'll have you chase stuff. Right. But in training, I want you to chase the feel of the right movement. And then yeah. I expect that that happens on the platform, but it's not, that's not even normal in weightlifting. Like, I've had experiences where, you know, other lifters or lifters that come from a different kind of practice, like our lifters, our aim is to PR on platforms, like on the, mm-hmm. on the competition platform. Not that, that's a strength guilt. Like that's what I mean, learn yeah. from Phil and all that, right? Your best lift, you want to hit it on the platform with the bright lights. And other lifters and other disciplines, it's like they're aiming for 90%. Like they PR in training and then aim for 90%. And they think it's really weird that we PR on the platform. Yeah. Hmm. So it's like they want, you know, so, I mean, obviously they they want it to feel easy on the platform and give you higher competition numbers. But I'm like, no, because the difference between like a metal, right, is is usually a lift you're scared of. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I want you to be so confident going for that lift you're scared of. That's it's like if you have it in your mind and like, oh, I can't go for a PR on the platform. That's I can't do that. It's like, no, no, we're going for it. Yeah. <laughs> My lifters don't even they're usually they expect even after they miss that they, they expect, oh, he's probably going to go up. Yeah. And I like them in that state of mind because then they just focus on how they're supposed to move. But in training, it is more challenging, but it takes a lot of just kind of watching your lifter and kind of grasping where they're at in their training process, whether you want them to chase a lift or not. And a lot of lifters, their next PR isn't necessarily a strength thing. A lot of it's a fear thing. Like they're scared Mm -hmm. of that next lift. I mean, it's scary to get under a new lift. Like you're jumping under a weight that you, you know. Wants to kill you. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Once you recognize like, okay, they're strong enough for it. They're moving extremely well with these weights. You just kind of hey say hey that looked pretty good let's go up and then they yeah. usually have like this anxiety face and you're like no no just throw it on it's fine <laughs> yeah so yeah I think that's what's always hard too because I think about just motor learning aspects of missing lifts and at what because we know to me it's fascinating right so if i'm trying to learn a new skill right just uh, i'm trying to do some new move kiteboarding or whatever most of the time if it's just outside my capacity i'm going to fail a bunch of times before i actually hit it mm-hmm. but from a, a said principle right so specific adaptation to impose demand i'm actually not making progress but i kind of at some point when i'm right at that edge of the envelope the only way to get better is to kind of make mistakes and figure it out. But the flip side is you don't want to be pushing so hard for something that's outside your current capacity where now you're degrading all the baseline skills that you got there because you're practicing in a horrible way, right? So most people walk into yeah. any, any gym and you see, you know, people 
you know, looked like a pooping dog doing their deadlift. You're like, this isn't going to end well, right? So I've always interested in what is that that edge where you want to keep practicing the things that are going to get you better, but you also know at some point you're going to have to kind of open the reins a little bit and kind of let them make errors and let their body kind of figure out how to execute something they've never done before too. Yeah, and that's where I agree with, like, Drell was talking about. I said most of the time it's mental. Like, if you're doing something sure. kiteboarding that's just outside of your uh, wheelhouse or whatever your capability, yeah, you're, it's probably within your capability physically. Oh, yeah. And what yeah. you're having to battle is get past that mental block. And I'd yep. say the mo- that's, like, uh, it's the same thing. Even though power lifts are slow, like, most of my lifters, like, I will call a weight. I'm, I'm good at it now. I, I'm going to call a weight that I know they can hit. The reason they fail it usually is their head mm. um, because they're just not confident. And that takes time, man. It takes time. Like I had a certain lifter like four or five months ago that finally just the switch went. And you could see it in her eyes. Had just the way she came to heavy bars changed. And she was confident. And all of a sudden she's smashing shit you know, yeah. <laughs> that she before didn't. And it was a mental switch, not a physical one. Um, and that's a tough one to to, to do, but you can – ingrain that through training sure with some maximal lifts like we just had you maxing out a drill just decided okay for the next two months i'm gonna have them max every day <laughs> and fucking miss a lot they're mentally gonna be beat to shit you know oh, yeah. when they've missed that 95 kilo snatch 47 times that month uh when they try it the 48th time they're fucking doubting themselves hardcore yeah so, and that's not a good place to be in like if you're used to just making lifts and you come in there like, well, I'm gonna go fucking lift this because that's what we do. You know, that's that's all we know is just making things. So, yeah, and I think that's where a good coach can help you with the progression because I think a mistake I've made in the past is that I've maybe something to me that I thought was only one step advanced was like four steps, mm-hmm. and so the odds yeah. of me making it were yeah. very slim just because it was too big of a jump, but yeah. I didn't see that no matter what the skill is. So I think that's where having a good coach that you trust can be like, okay, here's the next step. Here's how much we're going to work on it. <laughs> we're going to you know, go back to a sub-max load. Once you execute that and you kill all those, then we're going to go up to this thing so that they don't get stuck in kind of those mental horrible places to be where they're just got really good at being bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, so in terms of the, the training process, like you have with a coach, like a lot of the weight selection, like good weight selection in training, you don't feel crushed by that weight. And so yeah. if you train on your own, like most people train to feel like feel something. Like, I got to feel it. Well, it's like a lot of the best weights in training, like you get done with the workout and you're like, okay, I, I mean, I'm not almost dead. So what's, what's going on here? Right. And so a coach is like, yeah, it's not supposed to feel like that, dude. Like yeah. you're, you're doing fine. And it's, it's one of those things like you consciously, like in your mind, like you feel like you're kind of forcing yourself to make progress rather than you have a training session. And then, you know, those, those neural roads are mapping as you kind of rest. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't feel progress happening most of the time. Like you just don't feel it happening, and then one day it just bursts you forward, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh, okay, well it was." But it's like if you fly close, fly too close to the sun too often, your progress is much slower. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that. That teeter totter is really hard without a coach. Like that seventy percent, which is 
you know, plus or minus however many percentages for individualization, that's like your best, you know, training load to get better, like to actually improve. But you can usually kill that weight, right? Yeah. And so it's hard to like, you know, you're avoiding fatigue. You're like, well, this feels easy. And it's hard to make that switch where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to train and then let the PRs come as they come. Yeah. That's hard for most, Yeah, I would just say lifters in general, but I mean, even especially in America, I like guess the culture yeah. here is like push harder, add weight every time. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's like people don't realize, like, you know, I don't get a lot of film in my training, but people, I don't, can't remember the last one I filmed, but my people around me do a lot. So they'll see the videos up. Well, Phil, you're squatting like 600 here and 625 there and 595 here. What they don't realize is like, literally, I did not touch the weight. I competed in March and hit 722. I did not touch that weight for six months. Yeah. Like, I didn't touch that weight until I knew, like, okay, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> you know, it's been, I put in six months of training before I even, let alone a new weight. You know, it was, it was five weeks after that that I went for a new weight. Um, it's just that time, man. It's like, we're don't, we're not shooting, especially once you get a little more advanced at the beginning, of course, especially with weightlifters. It's like PRs all day, every day. Um, cause they're brand <laughs> new at it and they just sucked. So, um, and that's the part, luckily, that I think hooks everybody to the sport. And then it's when it gets a little tough is when they decide to quit because um, they're not hitting PRs every day. But, uh, you know, as you get a little more advanced, it's just the way it has to be. It's just a mature mindset of training and just punching the clock. And that's going to, if you punch that clock enough, it's just, it's going to make things happen. Yeah, you have to, in weightlifting, you have to enjoy the process. And I, I treat actually, you know, like I have a few, like, I got some kids now in powerlifting. I try to treat it the same for everyone, where it's like, in weightlifting, you really have to enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. Like, and you find little victories every day. Like, in here, my goal is to make it a great training environment. Like, we're always joking around, having fun. Yeah. And then the lifts on the bar, like, the lifts on the bar are secondary to the, just the environment, right? Yeah. Like, just yeah. feeling that. And you start to get little victories where you're like, okay, that weight moves a little better. Like, But it's mm -hmm. an internal thing. Like, Only you can see that. I can see it. But only sure. as an athlete, you can see and feel it. You know, as a coach, you're like, okay, I see them. I noticed this with, with girls, right? Like going from uh, 35 kilos to 45, right, that green to yellow plate switch. Mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. con Like when they get really, like, more confident at that lift, they'll take the greens off and put yellows on instead of, doing the greens with the fives and it's such a small thing but you can tell they've leaped forward in confidence in that particular lift when they start putting the bigger plate on it's such yeah. a weird goofy kind of thing but you know if you enjoy the the process and you can kind of find little victories every day you'll train more often for longer because there's no like even if you're talented the the success process for weightlifting is years it's not oh yes yeah. so it's it's a very tough thing, and, and if you don't have, you know, can't find the little victories, you don't have the environment for it, you know, you're training on your own or something like that, this is a very hard sport to be successful at. And it's a very hard, the easy sport to, like, mess you up, so. 
Yeah, I always tell clients, it's like, are you either testing or are you training? And yeah. I even have to remind myself of that, too. So, you know, lately, I've, for my squad, I've probably been testing a little bit more of it than training, but it's been going pretty good, so I'm I'm fine with it. But I also know that once I get, you know, close to whatever the, the number is, it's going to be back to training, and I'm probably not going to hit those numbers for a while again. And that can be hard because the longer you train, the more nonlinear it is and the, the more spaced out things are. And even with that, I always have to remind myself that what is the overall goal? Like, so I'm not competing and lifting. I've got a grip competition coming up in October. Um, and then I'm going to be gone kiteboarding right after that for six weeks, five weeks. So for me, I always have to flash forward to the future of, okay, if I went for this little bit of a heavier load, it's not something I'm doing in testing, like say a squat, and I'm a dumbass and injure myself, how happy am I going to be with myself? Like I'm going to be pretty pissed off because now I can't kiteboard for five weeks. You know what I mean? So it's like is the risk versus reward, is it is it there? And so it's like, mm, no, so it's okay. So I'm just going to be a little bit more conservative on, on purpose. I had a guy who was a client competing in an obstacle course race. So this is his big uh, weekend event. He'd been training for the whole year for it. So like a couple of weeks before, his training was great. We you know, pulled back on volume and everything. And I told him, I'm like, I... I don't want to see any PRs from you in the gym at all. <laughs> it's like you're not competing in lifting. You're competing in obstacle course racing. So if it's super easy and it happens, yeah, all right. But just even when everything feels good, like purposely do less. And that's if you're competitive at all, that's, that's a hard thing to do. So, yeah, <sighs> I think we can call it, guys. It was a good topic. Yeah. Good discussion. Go 725 again. Again nice. and again. So <laughs> the only thing weird I think I'm going to do is do some walkouts with 800. I just need to make that more comfortable. That was the hardest part, man, uh, is holding up. Like I did it in the monolith last week, but I got to make the walkout comfortable. So. Phil, do you do, you do any uh, rack holds like the – the Chinese lifters, when I went to their little seminar, they swear by that stuff. Hmm. Just, just hit the holding it? Where they just load the bar up and stand up with it. Yeah. No, I you did know. a lot of that, especially before I squatted 700 first. I just needed to make it comfortable on my back. Yeah. Because it just felt like if you get under a bar and you're just like, holy shit. <laughs> There's a good chance. That, and that's not a good first like. thought. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And now, now it's not that way. Even the 800... Like uh, I'll be honest, like the hardest part is standing there with it. Would you go? Would you go higher than that? Would you start working if you started doing rack just rack holes? Would you overload it? I would if my goal wasn't like I know my goal right now. So yeah. my goal is like just eight hundred. So I just need to make that comfortable. But yeah, I've done that in the past. Like okay, goal seven hundred. I'm gonna hold seven twenty five, seven fifty, whatever. Just to make that light, and I'll have lifters do that. Like if they're having, if they're mentally struggling with weights that I know they can do, let's say I got somebody squatting three sixty five for you know five sets, we'll unrack four hundred five and hold it first, <coughs> and and then okay, now drop back down and go to your sets. And they're like, oh, that feels good. You know, yeah, yeah, it's lighter on your back. 
So I tried to start doing that with front squats for people, but the one thing I noticed is like when you overload it pretty good, it's like that's that is a recipe for passing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bar trying to choke you out. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's like you're it's something about the tension. There's a lot going on there, and then you yeah. just I just noticed that there was a lot of lightheadedness going on. I was like, oh yeah, yeah maybe. And yeah. but I never tried it for back squat. That's why I was curious with Phil with the walkouts. Because I know that that used to be such a that used to be a huge exercise. Yeah, you know, kind of old school powerlifting. They would do a lot of walkouts. Yeah, and so I was just curious. And that's yeah, that's really what I need to get used to. Because really, right now it's not even on my back; it's my legs, like uh, and my knees. It's just like okay, I'm gonna shift 800 pounds onto one fucking leg. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels sketchy as shit, you know. Yeah. So I just got to get used to that and get it wrapped around my head to where I'm not scared. Uh, so. When you guys do lockouts, quick question, do you hold them long enough where you're forced to breathe under the load so you can figure out how to breathe and kind of hold the load? Or because your lift, like a 1RM fill, is so short that you just don't worry about that per se? No, I'll stay there for 20, 30 seconds, let it okay. settle in, and just get used to it, you know? Yeah, Just okay. get comfortable. That was my it. thought, too, but... Um, yeah, because I'll, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, if I just picked it up and then set it back down, that's not doing nothing. Like, I literally, right. what I'm aiming to do is make this to where, okay, I'm okay just standing here. You yeah. know, where I'm mentally comfortable with it. Yeah, I've done, so I've basically done five to ten seconds for heavy, like really heavy loads, and then up to 60 seconds just for kind of the endurance, for like sets, multiple sets, mm-hmm. three to five sets of somewhere between five and ten for heavy. 60% or not 60% I'm sorry 60 seconds with like with your one rep max mm-hmm. like to me that's kind of the sweet spot it's like you get to 60% at your one rep max then you're you're in pretty good shape yeah cool so awesome hi guys well until next week we will catch you then sounds good see ya <laughs>